Hello, welcome back to the National Association for Primary Education podcast. My name is Mark Taylor, I'm the Vice Chair of NAEP, and today I'm delighted to be joined by Ellie Jackson, who is a children's author. Um, Ellie, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me along, Mark. I'm really excited to be here and talking to hopefully so many teachers out there who'll be listening and uh, yeah, really excited to talk about the books that I write. So thank you. So let's start with what are the type of books that you write? What sort of age range? What, what's the subject material? Well, it didn't start off with a plan to be a series, but it's now a series of six books and they are all true stories about real environmental issues. So they are aimed at primary school all the way through and they're picture books. So you might be thinking, oh, well, my older years are not not quite so keen on picture books, but uh, uh, they do appeal to the whole broad range of primary school ages. And you mentioned before that you were you were a teacher. So how did that transition go from, from being in the classroom to author and in terms of how that works for you now? Well, it's, uh, it was quite a while ago now that I was teaching and I was a secondary school teacher of geography. So the love of the outdoors and the nature and the environment has always been with me. And then I became a mother. So I then uh, kind of brought in, this is the author role that I'm in now, brings in the education love that I have and the environmental love and the teaching and the parent love that I have so it's it kind of ties in everything to where I am now so I'm really really lucky and I certainly know from my experience of my children and I've got two young nieces as well the whole idea of climate change of the environment is is in the forefront of their mind because it's it's things that are talked about a lot it's things which are part of the awareness of education on a, on a regular basis which is absolutely fantastic and you know it's going to be their world that they're going to step into and I think all of those skills understanding and, and way of being with it is going to be absolutely crucial so what was it specifically that enabled you and, and your your desire to kind of support that in the way that you are? Um, it was really to see that the children are learning about these issues in the right way so it all started for me. I was very lucky. I lived on a tropical island in uh, the Great Barrier Reef for a year and I had young children with me then. And we were just down on our local beach and they were doing a turtle release, which I'd never seen before. So there was the kind of whole crowds of people. There was TV cameras. The whole island had turned out to see this little turtle go back into the sea. And we all stood in the water and kind of formed two aisles. And then this turtle was placed on the sand if turtles could experience joy, I'm sure she would have been the most beaming, joyous expression. As soon as her flippers hit the sand, she was just straight into the sea and she was gone. And the whole crowd was cheering and everything. And it was this wonderful kind of moment. But for my four-year-old, she was then saying, Mummy, what was wrong with the turtle? Why had it got sick? And so we then went back to the mainland, to the turtle hospital, and saw the problem with plastic in the ocean. And as soon as she'd made that link, bearing in mind she was only four, she was then off cleaning up the beaches. Mummy, I'm saving a turtle. And she's picking up all this rubbish. And I thought, what a great little story here to help explain the issue of plastics in the ocean without overwhelming and upsetting the children. And so I just, I wrote the story. It was, I was in the right place at the right time because a few months after I wrote it, kind of Blue Planet 2 came out and the whole country, suddenly the issue was there in people's eyes. You know, you couldn't get away from it. And the books are there really to do the same for adults and kind of open the children's eyes to the issue, but in a positive, gentle way without upsetting and without overwhelming. And I think that's really key is we've got to inspire these children to want to make a difference because it's not all doom and gloom. There is hope and we have to focus in on that, what we can actually do. 
Yeah, I mean, that's such a positive message, isn't it? And it, it makes such a difference when you feel like we're doing something which is enabling our future rather than, you know, it's too late, which um, definitely that's just going to put us put us on a path to nowhere, which is going to be positive at the end of that. Um, and I think children, especially young children, they relate to their local world, they relate to their environment, they relate to their personal experience. And I think it sounds like what you've been able to encapsulate in these books is the ability to make that real. And, and it's, you know, even if you're not in the Great Barrier Reef, it's the bedtime stories that children remember. It's the it's the books that they can relate to, the things that they want to then tell people when they get home. And and that then does become part of their world, doesn't it, as well? And I guess, I guess that's where that kind of personal experience comes from. Definitely. And by putting um, the animal at the forefront of this with the character, you know, the turtle's called Duffy. Suddenly for a five-year-old, um, they're seeing rubbish on the street. And when they say, oh, we want to pick that up to help save Duffy. And it just, it brings it home. It makes it meaningful. And you're right. We're not all lucky to live by the sea, you know, to live in the tropics, wherever it might be. Um, so to bring these books to the classroom, to, to really bring those issues to life is fantastic. And, you know, there's no dialogue in the books. It's just um, almost saying it how it is. And the pictures really are what open uh, the children's eyes to, to these issues because you can see when the animals are sad, you can see when they're happy, when they're lost, when they're scared, when they're whatever it might be. And the children go on that journey with them. Even the two and three-year-olds can follow the story with their eyes. So, uh, And the language is very rich as well. So it really appeals to all the different ages. And and take us through the, the range of stories in terms of the different types of books and some of the, the different areas that you cover. Right. So the first book, as I said, I saw that turtle being released. We we followed the story exactly pretty much how it happened. So we've got the turtle, she eats too much plastic and then she's rescued, rehabilitated and released. So they've all got happy endings and they also have ideas for the future at the background. And after that first book, I then um, saw videos online about different animals and different kind of rescue situations. So the next book is a puffin who was rescued after she got trapped in a load of balloons from a, from a balloon release. So again, it's teaching the children about the problem of balloon releases and why we shouldn't let uh, balloons go up into the sky. But it's not making anyone feel bad. It's not making anyone um, kind of being a killjoy about anything because we're offering alternatives and different solutions. And then we've got a whale who gets trapped in fishing nets and is rescued by a group of, of tourists. And I mean, that's a true story. They they rescued all these, this, this huge whale and this massive net was all kind of tangled around their legs in the boat. And then the whale, as soon as he's free, he, he um, does this enormous breach as if to say thank you to the, to the rescuers. So this wonderful moment where the whale's kind of um, responding to what's just happened to him in a positive way. So, and then I went on to, so that's three books on ocean plastic. And then I've got three books on climate change. So I've got an orangutan and palm oil deforestation i've got um a polar bear and melting ice caps and then after last year's horrific bushfires in australia i've got a, a koala and bushfires and so they're all linked in in various aspects to the problems and i guess also like say because they've become a series I, it, it must be very familiar for the children who then sort of work through each book as well that gives you that kind of sort of homely wholesome kind of experience isn't it because once you find something that grabs your imagination you're desperate then to, to listen and, and to to read and, and to see the other books definitely and what I've loved is seeing the children actually then writing their own stories 
So they'll take, um, just going back to the turtle, it's the most <laughs> the most famous book there. So you, you've got the turtle, but then the children are rewriting and they're changing the name, they're changing the animal, they're changing the predicaments and then the outcome. So they're actually then inspired to to do their own creative story about it. So I think that's been really a wonderful thing to see. I think I had a year five teacher come up to me and she said she's never seen her boys in her class so motivated to write after reading them these stories. So that to me was high praise indeed. <laughs> <laughs> yes, year five boys. That's a, yeah, that's a great exactly. nut to crack, isn't it? <laughs> Definitely. Um, and it's, it's interesting that you're talking about sort of how it works within school as well, because you, you do have teaching resources, don't you, as well, and how it fits in with the curriculum. So talk us through how, how that works alongside the actual books themselves. So I um, I had got some teaching ideas myself, but as the books have grown, I really wanted to make sure that everything to do with the books was as easy for teachers to use as possible and as focused and professional as possible so they can get the most out of this. So I paid um, a, a, a teacher who's written outdoor education curriculum books so I've paid this lady to write these excellent curriculum maps so for every book I've got curriculum maps for uh, each key stage so you can really drill it down so if you want to teach about climate change with year two this particular book with this particular year group so it's all right there and um, they can because they're more than just children's books you know they're not to go in the school library uh, until after the school have worked on them they're, they're kind of a reason and a it gives a whole issue like um, say you want to do a sustainability week in the school if you frame it around the books uh, then you can have kind of a cohesive like each year group does a different story and then they feed back to the different it's, there's so much scope for it it's brilliant <laughs> and um and, and that kind of links in really nicely to what I was just thinking about was kind of sort of how the books then get into school and like I say so it's not a question of buying them into the library so people can dip in and out it's actually using it as the the the, the front sort of facing idea of how to talk about some of these subjects and how to use it as part of a topic or like you say a sustainability week or whatever it, it gives you that immediate amount of knowledge and understanding and content which you can then like I say develop through those ways you've talked about before definitely and you know schools are then using the books they're getting an inspired they're doing beach cleans and litter picks they're setting up recycling they're doing plastic free lunchbox days they're doing a walk to school you know whatever it might be the framework of the books brings it back and helps the children understand why they're doing these things you know why are we doing a beach clean why are we doing why do i need to recycle all the time oh to help save duffy or whatever so uh, you can even, you know, print out the animals and stick them on bins. And then you can, that, again, anyway, I've said it before, there's loads of different ways. I've had art, sculptures, competitions, write, creative writing. Yeah, lots of lots of aspects to bring in. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and I think that's the key, isn't it? The, the beauty of having something like this is, uh, which sort of lights the fire of what you're doing, is the fact that within that you have so much scope to allow the children to be creative. Once you've kind of got that idea of, this is where we're heading in terms of the overall subject, but we've then got the the time and the situation to be able to decide what that's going to be, whether it's related to the artwork, whether it's like say related to going out into the community and talking or or how it fits within any given school day, if you're going to do it like say as a day or a week or however you've decided to frame it. So I, th I think that's really good. What I also love is the onus is then on the school and the school can see just where the children are enthusiastic and kind of focus it's on there. So I had several schools who were really into um, campaigning. So there was that red nose school 
uh, near me who wrote to the Red Nose, the comic relief, and said, we don't want you to to sell the Red Noses any anymore. Uh, is there anything that you can do? And they campaigned about this and they got letters from David Attenborough. They made kind of international headlines. And uh, that was a school I'd been into and, and read the book to. And off the back of that, they were inspired then to go on and do their own further um, work on it. So it can lead into whole ways that you might not even expect the, ch- the children get enthusiastic and want to take something and take ownership of it and I think that's really important they can see the change they're making at another school uh, all the children wrote letters to the local businesses asking them to stop serving plastic straws this was before the straw ban came in and I then went into the town and I was talking to the business owners and they said right let me stop you right there I've already changed I got a letter from an eight-year-old that made me feel so bad. I've got rid of all my plastic straws and they're now all paper. So the voices coming from the children are actually far more powerful in some instances than the adults. And to have that hope that the children give us reminds the adults of the responsibility they need to make a difference and to make the changes we all need to make. So. Um, yeah and and I think the perspective thing is really interesting as well, isn't it? Because the, the thing I love about the red nose thing is the fact that that's a you know the red nose as a concept was brilliant because it enabled a way of fundraising for the greater good of the charity and what it was trying to do but then to see that absolutely logical idea of kind of but it's made of plastic can we not do it a different way is there not a way of actually still creating what the objective is but doing it in a in a more yeah. um climate friendly way and and i think th- I think it's enabling children to think like that and feel like that's a positive thing because that's where the changes are going to come from that we as adults won't have even thought of and won't be in a position to make. It's that generation coming through being empowered to work in that way that's going to make the biggest difference. Definitely. So recently you had the Climate Action Day um, around the schools in Cornwall and of course we had the G7 and everything which is, sounds absolutely fantastic. Tell us a little bit about how that worked and, and how you plan to replicate that in, in different parts of the country. Right so this was a day that I'd been building up to for about oh, five or six months beforehand and I just thought why don't we bring in all the fantastic environmental groups in Cornwall and get them to share their resources for this one kind of focused day or week or whatever it might be for the schools and let's make climate action fun but then you've got all these thousands of children taking part in it at the same time and it's a really positive thing for the community and then the G7 announced that they're going to be doing it in Cornwall I thought great let's tie this all in together so I managed to get all the resources from people like uh, Service Against Sewage, the Wildlife Trust, we had the National Trust rspb and we've got these fantastic little short hooks for children to get involved in so say you want to learn how to do a safe litter pick here's a little video about it from uh, the charity involved and then here's some kind of fun activities to go along with that so it's you're not going to do all activities on the day you might have it as a recurring theme you could do a climate action day once a month and you choose a different video or once a term or something so they're fun short little things like you can go foraging for nettles to make your own nettle pancake or uh, little just interesting ways make a bee hotel how to do composting so whatever it might be that your school's into here's all the resources in one place uh, together with the books and there's kind of author sessions and question and answer kind of uh, information about the background of the stories so it, it gives the school just a very easy access framework for whatever 
they want to fit in with at the time that suits them because I know schools are su- super duper busy and to have that already done easy access I thought that would make it much easier for them so yeah we had so many schools involved and then we got some local press involved and the children were doing all these fantastic activities and letter writing and posters and art and creative writing so I'm hoping that we've done Cornwall Action Day and it can be replicated in any it doesn't even have to be a county-wide thing it could be just all your group all your schools uh in your town in your community in your um multi-academy trust whatever it might be so it could even just be your school by itself uh but all the resources are there they're free to share with anyone who'd like access to them you don't need the books to use it you can use it as a standalone thing if you've got the books it helps <laughs> <laughs> of course yeah um and i and i think that's the that's the thing which I think is exciting in terms of, of like I said, it's having the flexibility to do it in your own way. And I, I, I certainly know as a musician myself, one of the things which used to slightly gripe a little bit with me was the fact that we're having a music and an arts week. And, um, and I thought that's fantastic that they're focusing on music and the arts, but only for one week, what happens the rest of the year. And, and, just like I say, depending on time and resources and all of that, but there are lots of ways that you can embed all of these things throughout the the week, the month, the day, the term, whatever it happens to be. And I think having a focus of a day or a week is brilliant as long as you have that sense of, but that's just kind of really shining a light on what we do across the rest of the school year and whatever that happens to be. And I think having the books and, and the understanding and all those resources that you're talking about means that you can have that focus where you can create an event, which is always a great way to get that kind of communication going with the, like your community at large, as you said. But but it just also then can filter down through into into what you're doing on a more regular basis. And I think that's something I, I'm really keen on because I think, like I say, children knowing that picking up this particular bit of recycling and putting it in the right bin makes a difference today, not just on that particular time where we're focusing on climate, as it were. And, and I think having the two things running in parallel is really, really important. Definitely. And I think with the characters in the books, that keeps those conversations going on a lot longer at home because you're having conversations with with children and their parents things like oh mummy don't throw that out of the window you know the car window because it hurts animals like duffy and for a four five six year old to be saying that making those comments um i mean nothing's going to happen overnight but it's those little kind of light bulb moments if you like with the children inspiring the adults that's going to make the big difference you know and uh in the books it talks about idling engines idling car engines which is one of my biggest things you see it all the time at the school gates the parents sitting there with the engines on on their phones waiting at the end of the day and uh, I just think that's you could as an adult you can tell other adults all you like but for your children to come in and to say mommy we read this book at school today and it said you know engines whatever it might be and it just carries those conversations on yeah absolutely um and so tell us about the expansion of the series. Have you got kind of a, a, a long-reaching titles that of things that you want to create going forward? What's the what's the sort of longer-term well, plan from this, for the series itself? I mean, that's the problem with environmental issues, actually. There's so many of them. I mean, I could probably write books, you know, a whole series of different books about loads of different things. But there's probably, to engage the interest of young children, there's probably a finite amount of, of problems that I want to cover. You know, I've had people asking me, can you write a book about cigarette butts or can you write a book about wet wipes? And I think, well, 
I probably can't really. I don't know how to make those appealing to young children. But the next book is about bees and agriculture and pesticides. And then I want to do a few few more books about river issues and woodland issues and um, things that are local in our habitats, perhaps. Uh, so that's probably where I see I might have maybe nine or ten books, I think, in the series. So maybe three or four more to come. <laughs> Fantastic. And and then, of course, um, and I had this conversation recently with somebody, it's that kind of having that embedded at such a young age throughout sort of the, the primary years, I think means that when children then get older and they go into secondary school and beyond, they already have that inbuilt. And so it's not like that it needs to be retaught. It's kind of this is what we do and this is why we do it. And hurrah you know that that's the world is changing then through just those few years of that generation that's exactly what I want to hope to achieve so I I have a program where I tackle schools one town at a time so you imagine you've got like so Cardiff for example there was uh, 120 schools in Cardiff they all received a copy of my books and the teaching resources they were donated by local businesses and then suddenly you've got uh, 40,000 children or however many children that was in Cardiff I can't remember was it 40? I think it was 40,000. They're all learning about it at the same time. So when they do feed into secondary school, they've had that background, um, similar kind of experience. And then suddenly, oh, littering becomes uncool because they've all had that uh, approach to it in primary schools. And it becomes just second nature. You know, my kids just see litter on the ground. And if it's not safe for them to pick up, they're always pointing it out to me or coming running back to me. Mummy found this. Mummy found that. And it's just a natural thing for them to do now. And uh, I wouldn't expect anything else less, obviously, my own children. But that's happening all <laughs> around the country. You know, with other other people message me and say, you know, thank you so much. My my four year old's now picking up litter, and thanks to you. So great. And and let's just as we start to round up, tell us about exactly how people get involved. So that sounded really interesting. That in in Cardiff, like you say, businesses got involved, and then you had a whole load of schools taking part in one go. I guess schools into can individually can do it or. T tell us sort of those sort of experiences in terms of the wide range and also where people can actually find out more. Yes. Yeah, so uh, ideally schools buy their own sets, but obviously it's, money's tight. It's not always possible. I think to have a combined approach is really great if you can, if you're working well with the schools, other schools in your town. But if you're a local business and you want to help sponsor a set of books into your local schools, you know, I've, I've definitely run that that's how we managed to get all the books into Cornwall but I'm working on projects now to get the books into Brighton I've just got them all into Maidstone so it's going on all around the country and I think now it's reached over a million and a half children already just in the UK and then I've got books as well that I donate to schools overseas so every every books that I sell here in this country I then donate to schools in Indonesia in Malawi and places so that's brilliant as well and um yeah, if anyone would like to find out more information about the books and the teaching resources, they're all on my website, which is wildtribeheroes.com. And or you can order them through any local bookshop. Fantastic. And we'll have direct links to all that in the show notes of this podcast as well. So if you go to the National Association for Primary Education website, which is nape.org.uk, then you'll be able to find everything you need there as well. So Ellie, thank you so much. It's really interesting to talk to you as an author, but I think just that sense of the idea that the world is changing through someone and that particular medium and I think how that 
works within the schools and and the children and like say across generations as well and i think you can kind of get an, an enriched feel of how society is going to change for the better through the eyes of someone who knows how to make that happen so thank you for one one for being here but more importantly for the work that you're doing and, and the change that you're making for everybody thank you so much mark i've really enjoyed chatting to you and yeah i really hope that the books are there for you to be used in the schools to help inspire the next generation that's really what i'm all about so brilliant thank you very much then Bye-bye.